we can bring all of the nonprofits together from every sector, they're all facing similar challenges and we can work really well helping them find the similarities across the sectors and bring that together so that they can collaborate and learn from each other. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, we're joined by Kelsey Ruff Smith, the Director of Programs at the Community Foundation for Ocala and Marion County and the Nonprofit Resource Center. I brought Kelsey on because I wanted to get into the opportunities organizations, especially nonprofits, have to collaborate both with community foundations and other stakeholders in their community, but businesses and philanthropists, and how you drive collaboration between those stakeholders to really serve the community well. Kelsey has some great insights on what philanthropists are looking for, how to drive collaboration for the sake of community, how to avoid duplication in your local community, and ultimately, how do you build a culture of philanthropy and grow generosity either amongst your community or at least the community of donors that are supporting your nonprofit? It's a great conversation, tons of insights, so let's dive in. Kelsey, you lead programs at the Community Foundation for Ocala and Marion, uh, which notes the purpose of connecting the charitable interest of the donor to build a strong community. Now, this intrigued me that this purpose mentions both donor and community, but not nonprofits. But from my understanding, you primarily serve nonprofits. So could you unpack this a little bit and then how this purpose or your organization really supports nonprofit leaders? I would be happy to. Um, so here at the Community Foundation for Calamarian County, we uh, are not a typical community foundation. I know that many community foundations are famous for uh, collecting funds and being grant-making institutions in their community. And while we certainly have the capabilities to do that and have worked to those aims before in the past, here our real goal, um, like you said, is to connect the charitable interests of donors to help us build a strong community. We found back before the Community Foundation was created here in Ocala that there was a disconnect between people who wanted to give their money and the needs that needed filling in the community and being able to bring those two together. So we really think of ourselves as the bridge between community needs and the people who want to donate funds to those needs. Now, the community's needs are, you know, varied and large, especially in a community like Ocala that's, you know, got so many diverse nonprofits. I'm sure every city comes across that. But what we really are here to do is kind of a three-pronged approach of uh, creating a philanthropic community that giving back is a natural reaction to everyone's way of life in the community. Um, We want to connect those people who have leadership and resources in the community to protect and propel it. And then we want to capitalize the funding that 
causes uh, nonprofit or causes the community to improve. Now, nonprofits come in because they're the ones on the front lines. They're the ones doing the hard work and they're the ones serving the most vulnerable needs. Now, our work here at the Nonprofit Resource Center, which is an arm of the Community Foundation, is to help sustain and grow those nonprofits in capacity and um, in all of the other ways that we can support them so that they can be successful, strong businesses in the community. And then we help bolster them by matching the advisors in the community and the donors to the nonprofit. So it's kind of like a, a triangle where everything is going in both directions. You know, the advisors want to be able to connect to the nonprofits, but also to the donors and vice versa. Donors want to be able to connect to advisors and nonprofits and nonprofits need the advisors and the donors to sustain their funding. So that is how we come together. But the end goal is the heart of the community without wanting to keep that community intact and be a well-rounded and fulfilled community through having that strong network underlying it to catch where things shake up or fall. That's really our focus is to drive the community forward. The community foundation and the nonprofit resource center are really just how we do that. Does that make sense? Yeah, indeed. And I think it's, it's, you said a bunch of things that I want to unpack. So I want to start (laughs) with one thing that you mentioned that you said the goal is to promote a culture of philanthropy and ultimately to, you know, grow generosity as part of the community's you know, actions identity. or act. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. That's a, yeah, identity is a, is a great description of that. And the idea of growing generosity and building a culture of philanthropy is something that we're really focused on here at Virtuous because in some ways we're tackling that from the technology side because we feel like there's an opportunity to leverage technology to better serve and connect the givers to the good in our communities and thus increasing uh, the cultural narrative of philanthropy and changing that, but also then ultimately growing generosity. And so there's a huge alignment there. And I think one of the reasons why, you know, we wanted to connect and learn more. So when you talk about the idea of a culture of philanthropy, what what does that look like? How do you guys think about that or measure success? Um, so we do that in several different ways here. Uh, one of our big things to kind of create that culture of philanthropy that we really just love to do here is called, uh, is a program called youth philanthropy in action. And we actually go into local middle schools and teach classes uh, like in the course of their regular instruction, we come in and teach a six-week series, one week at a time, where we teach seventh-grade students about philanthropy, about how to connect your passion, discover your passion, um, you know, create your personal mission statement of what really matters to you and how you can use that to guide your giving. Uh, they get to talk to a real person from our community who is a philanthropic donor, and. From that, we really want to build up this nature of philanthropy in the roots. So as they start to grow through adulthood and stay in the community, they understand why it's important to give. Um, and then we're able to work here at the foundation, you know, growing donor advised funds, um, helping, you know, create workplace campaigns, do all of those things to just further impact the philanthropic giving in the community and help you know, just in create and inspire 
more contributions from the heart. The reason people want to give is because it feels good in your heart to do something that's important and matters. And so if you can do that with something that really aligns with you, maybe your personal causes are, you know, cancer related or pet related or whatever it is that really inspires you veterans. And we can sit here and go, okay, great. This is a list of nonprofits in our community. Where can we help you give? Yeah, for sure. And I think what you hit on is something we champion a lot, even just that we lead off with our presentations typically about this is that giving is deeply personal. And you've referenced that actually twice in different ways. But one of the things that you mentioned is that this idea that giving is personal and there's a desire, or let's say a culture of philanthropy. And then the ultimate goal is how do we leverage those kind of that that personal conviction or desire to give in a way that furthers the community. And then you yeah. kind of describe this idea that where nonprofits come in is they're actually a lot of times at the front on the front lines of being able to deliver on that or actually almost be the platform at which the giver, the donor, the uh, the philanthropist is actually being able to implement through giving through the nonprofit to actually improve the community. But yes. one thing that we found, and I think you alluded to a little bit, is that sometimes there's a disconnect between a donor's desire to give and maybe even understanding where to give or how to give. And there's kind of this interplay between donors and nonprofits that sometimes creates this gap because donors want to have a posture of being a part of. Nonprofits are on the front lines doing the work and they're like, hey, give us the money, we'll take care of it. And so there's this mm -hmm. natural disconnect. How, how do you see that play out in your community or with the nonprofits and the philanthropists that you all really coordinate with? And then what sure. suggestions would you have for nonprofits that are trying to do better? How, how do they really tap into the heart of the philanthropist and serve them well, well while also delivering on the impact. So it's kind of twofold. Like, how have you seen this show up? But then what advice do you have in actually bridging that gap between the, the donor and the org that's delivering the cause for the community? Definitely. So that's the hardest part. Um, now, I haven't, I don't think I've disclosed this to you, but on the side in my uh, free time, which I'm going to put in really heavy air quotes. Um, I am the executive director of a nonprofit yoga studio uh, here in the community. Um, wow, and yeah. so, uh, I really personally know that the challenges of nonprofits, especially the small, young, budding and, uh, very tiny budgeted, uh, nonprofits, the, the hard part is how do we spread the word in such a way that we can receive funding back from the people who are interested so that we can continue our mission. And, the, the thing that we've really found here at the Community Foundation is you need a resource. Now, in our community, there's a couple different ways that we try and spread the news of the nonprofit so that people can really find the passion to, to make that personal connection with in something that feels personally fulfilling for their mission, uh, their personal mission. You need something to connect the two, whether it's um, you know, your chamber of commerce has a database of nonprofits that are a part of the chamber and that's how businesses connect to them or uh, here by us, you know, soliciting to find the donors that want to do bigger things like donor advised funds or open a 
campaign or the business owners who want to encourage giving in their workforce with the workplace campaigns. I've kind of touched on these a little bit, but those uh, connections are really the things that make this bridge between the donors and nonprofits. So here, the way we do it is also through a guide to charitable giving that we put out yearly um, where we let anyone, even people who are not a member of our nonprofit business group here uh, that is membership-based, anyone can submit their information to this uh, magazine. We put out an open call and it leaves open for a couple months so people can submit. And then we take all of those and we put them out and distribute these copies in the community so people can find what matches to them. And people ask us all the time, when does the guide come out this year? Because they want to know what's happening with nonprofits in the community. They want to see the changes that are coming down the pike in nonprofit work because those, you know, everything's evolving as we work uh, through the needs in our community and hopefully resolve some of them. But I feel like there has to be a leader in your community that just steps up to help kind of aggregate this information and redistribute it in a way that's consumable for the public in a very simple way. That's how you make this connection, in my personal opinion. I feel like someone has to step up and take charge of being the connector, the networker there to build for that. So that's my first part of the question. Uh, And I kind of touched on some suggestions on how to tap in, but from a personal nonprofit standpoint, um, the ways I've been networking the yoga studio and, and helping others with networking is Um, finding out the best way to market to your audience. I, running a yoga studio, we are donation-based in the fact that we want people to give some form of donation when they come to take a class. Uh, And we're not really specific about what that is. And many people sometimes don't bring anything physically tangible to donate uh, financially. But, you know, I'm always trying to find new ways to get creative. Um, I ask uh, you know, on social media for people to share, um, a really creative way to, that I have seen actually an organization do this, that is going to embody everything I'm rambling about right now. Sorry. This one succinct example is much better. Uh, I am one of our members here at the council is a junior achievement, uh, chapter, and they just did this really cool fundraiser called, um, Do five, give five, tell five, I think is what it's called. So you walk five miles or walk a 5K or run a 5K in the comfort of your own home virtually. Then you give just $5. That's all they're asking you for. They're not asking you for $5 a lap or anything like that. They're just saying, just give us $5. And then just tell five people about this and ask them to do the same thing. Well, one person could potentially be a $25 donation just right off the bat by you know, giving you four other people uh, and giving their five. So I love that because it spider webs out. If you ask five people and they ask five people and they ask five people, well, now you're at like 300 people just on the third leg that have gotten all of that information. So um, get creative in spreading the word is my big thing uh, with the audience that makes the most sense for your organization. Sorry, that was a rambly way to get to that. No, and I think that's a great example. And I think it taps into something else that we've observed here at Virtuous is there 
today's donor or those donors looking and not not the phil, like philanthropist level or major donor level, but even just your yeah. everyday donors are really looking not only to invest in a personal way, but also to connect with a community of like-minded people to work on a cause that they care deeply about. Yes. And I think there's, there's, you referred to this idea of obviously we, your foundation's goal is to improve the overall community. But I do think there's this element of community that really needs to be built into a nonprofit's fundraising strategy because it's not just enough to say, hey, give to us, look, you did great work. Rather, it's, hey, as a group of people, we're coming together to make a difference in X, Y, and Z way. And you describe the Junior Achievement uh, fundraising campaign. And I think it mirrors a lot of these uh, trends that we're seeing as far as what donors are looking for. And it's not just the millennial donor or the young donor. But really, in today's world, I think people are looking for things to connect with that have meaning outside of themselves. And nonprofits, in some ways, and the causes that are most important in our world are the perfect conduit for capitalizing and really cap- or, uh, activating that energy that I think exists in our world today. Yeah, definitely. So the other thing that you talk a lot about um, is this idea of collaboration for the sake of the community. And so obviously the foundation kind of sits at the center of a web of activities and stakeholders that are coming together to uh, overall improve, you know, the Ocala, Mirian community. And and collaboration isn't easy. And and I think there's this like (laughs) holy grail of like we're collaborating and everything's great, but it's difficult to align the interest of various stakeholders and move people in the right direction. What lessons have you all learned or observed or maybe are even just trying to work on as you seek to collaborate resources and move them in a single direction? Because we know when we do that well, there's huge success on the other side for the beneficiaries and the community, but we almost get in our own way. So talk to how you guys address that or what lessons you've learned. So a big thing that we hammer here is uh, avoiding duplication of services in the community. It's really great if we've got five food pantries, but if they're all within one block of each other, the four corners of the county don't have any benefit from that. So what we aim to do through the Nonprofit Resource Center and the Nonprofit Business Council that are uh, other parts of this organization uh, is to help people share ideas and come together in a way that doesn't breed competition, but fosters working together um, in a, in a way that kind of eliminates all of the things that complicate that. Does that make sense? Uh, So we want to help people kind of distill, what are you really trying to do with this program? Really? Who is it serving? Is there anyone else out there doing anything like this that you could work with or um, partner together on? Because also we know, right, that grantors love collaboration, especially our local grantors that are giving out. uh, If you and another group are working together on a program, uh, you can both write that grant together and they feel good about it because then they're only giving one grant but touching two organizations. So their impact drives a little bit farther Um, if that makes sense. So when it comes to collaborating, um, we find too that most people just want to collaborate with the people in their sector. If you're doing after-school programs for, uh, you know, less fortunate children or people who are at a systematic disadvantage, 
Um, you know, you might want to work with someone on the other side of the county doing those programs. But what we found is if we can bring all of the nonprofits together from every sector, they're all facing similar challenges and we can work really well helping them find the similarities across the sectors and bring that together so that they can collaborate and learn from each other. The best example we've had of this was um, actually the creation of the nonprofit business council came because the local PACE Center for Girls here in Florida and the Marion Senior Services chapter both were looking at a software and they were both trying to solve similar problems but needed a software. They came together and formed a whole council because they were collaborating on finding a software and wanted to find other people to help give them information and work through this problem together. So if you realize that, you know, someone in the, you know, animal welfare sector and someone serving, you know, uh, environment out in the Springs, those two can come together and find similar problems and work together to solve them, but also be in totally separate spheres um, of impact. So that's how we find we've, tried to help foster collaboration, but also the ways that it can work together um, in ways that people don't usually expect. Uh, and I, I love how you highlighted the importance of bringing stakeholders together that come from different places in, in, in the maybe the overall equation to serve a larger population. And I think that's where you start getting into if we can move all in the right direction, we can solve problems together so that there's synergy and each of our work is actually exponentially increased rather than it just being a, you know, one plus one. It's, you know, that whole kind of yeah. age old thing that one plus one equals actually three. And that's really yeah. what you're looking for. And I think there's a great example in um, Dan Heath, uh, who um, wrote uh, a great book, um, but his new book, uh, sorry, I'm blanking. <laughs> Dan Heath wrote a new book called Upstream. And in his book, he highlights how the Chicago school system, I think back in like uh, the early 90s or maybe late 90s even, had a 50% success rate in kids graduating high school. And they kept looking at it from you know a school problem and like reviewing this and doing all of that. And then uh, they brought in someone else that kind of had a background in kind of bringing other people together. And so what they realized was if they could actually systematically break down like where the upstream challenges were, not just like, oh, we need more program, we need higher discipline, we need this, that, and the other. And then also bring in outside stakeholders like social workers and the police force and a bunch of other people that maybe, and even nonprofits that were all involved in kind of the success of that city's children. <laughs> They were mm -hmm. able to drive, I think, a 20% increase up to 70%. And I think they said that there's three 300,000 kids that go through that school system. So when you think about a 20% increase over a matter of five to 10 years, that's incredible. But yeah. it was a result, and this is where the, the point comes, of collaboration between multiple differentiated stakeholders <coughs> that were yes. impacting some aspect of the overall circle that they were all trying to push forward. So. Collaboration is essential. But I think 100%. one thing that you you brought up, though, and it really is required for effective collaboration is an alignment between kind of the program side of a nonprofit and the fundraising side and kind of making sure those things are in lockstep. However, 
anyone listening to this know that that's not always the case. There tends to be sometimes a disconnect even between like the program staff and the programs team and the delivery team and the fundraising staff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious what how you would advise organizations to be thinking about alignment be- between programs and their fundraising, but okay. specifically for the sake of how that increases their ability to get increased funding. And then any examples that you see doing this really well in your community where there's this deep alignment between program delivery and the fundraising for the sake of that program delivery. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I feel like I keep coming back to this, but the way to really bring it all together is focus on the why. Why are you executing this program and why is the money that you're trying to get important? If you can bring the fundraising team and the program team to the table and have them sit down and agree that the reason this program exists and the reason we need money for it is because of this one specific mission, um, I feel like you can get everybody to line up better. And that takes a little bit of pre-planning and a lot of communication and sometimes like the massaging of egos, right? Like any human interaction does. But I think if you can make the the why, the the reason that we're all working be clear and distillate and in your face, then I think that you can miss that disconnect. Um, I'm not sure what organizations, you know, the more I've thought about this question, because Thankfully, you sent me these in advance to let me chog my brain a bit. But, um, you know, examples of people who are doing this well, there are just, I think, a lot of people who have very clear missions as to why and let that be the focus of everything they're doing. And I could probably, you know, list seven people in town who, you know, off the top of my head that are just always focusing like, this is our reason. This is our reason. This program is starting because this is our reason. Um and I, I think that bringing those together, just the, the why, you you have to know your why. So as long as everybody has come to the table and known your why, uh, there's a great book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. And um, I mean, on a personal level and at a professional level, I think everybody needs that book. Yeah, no, it's a great book. And Simon Sinek's work, even outside of Start With Why, is a great resource, I think, for all yes. nonprofit leaders or funders or philanthropists or really anyone, as you mentioned. Like just and, and a human. Think, absolutely. Yeah. If you're a human, uh, this is, uh, it, yeah, it's this is marketed to humans. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think like, but what you just illuminated is that like what we're doing and what we've all just described is we've named like, oh, there's foundations and there's businesses and there's the philanthropists and there's the nonprofit and there's the beneficiaries mm-hmm. and there's the overall community. But at the end of the day, it's all humans, right? And we have to remember that what we're doing, regardless of what team you're on, is humans coming together to work on a collective cause that matters and that our community cares about. And and, and I think this idea of humanizing even just our interactions and how we fundraise uh, can be infused with what you mentioned about the why. And you talked about how nonprofits need to get clear about what Mm -hmm. the why is behind their things. But you also talked about how you're encouraging seventh graders to already begin to think about their why. And what's interesting is that you have these donors or philanthropists that have their why that they've been able to develop. And you have nonprofits that have their why. And really now it just becomes like a matchmaking game where it's like, 
hey, like, this is what we stand for. Like, what do you stand for? Wow, there's alignment here. Like, let's collaborate together to make a difference in our community that matters to you and to us and ultimately to others. And I think the simplicity of that is really helpful and was helpful to me when I thought about what we were doing as fundraisers when we were engaging with donors. Uh, and, and I'm circling back to a question here is like, you obviously work a lot with the donor side as well as the nonprofits or the business community. What do you hear from donors as frustrations or desires as and what they want really from partnerships with nonprofits? So, yeah, you know, donors want to know that they, they are having a direct impact. And I think it, it's the onus on the nonprofit to turn around and say, Hey, thank you for this $500 contribution that you gave us at our gala that right there is going to fuel three months of after-school care for a child with a single mom who otherwise would be home alone in an unsafe neighborhood. And by telling the donor what their donation will impact and then telling them after that it did impact, uh, you know, we all know those commercials, especially in the like late nineties that were like for 15 cents a day, you can sponsor a child in Somalia and we'll even send you a picture. Do you know why those work? Because they got a picture of who they were helping and you know, an unscrupulous company could have sent that same picture to every single person, but every single person felt like they were helping that kid, especially the ones where they would like get to pen pal with them. Um, Those were why those were successful. So by turning that back in a way that nonprofits today can use that in a really positive and authentic way is say, uh, you know, uh, we just recently, uh, the nonprofit yoga studio on the side that I read, Blissful Life, uh, we had a shortfall in our budget and Giving Tuesday came. And I set up our Giving Tuesday donation site to say that like, hey, if all you can give is $20, you've paid for two classes for someone who can't pay for their own. Uh, five, you've paid, you know, 50 bucks, you've paid for five. A um, hundred bucks, you have given them 10 classes. Like being able to break it out that like, this is where your impact will go. Um, one of them was to pay our electric bill for the month and like actually gave like the average figure of what our electric is budgeted. So things like that, telling people what they're actually doing with their money. I think that's how you solve that problem. And I think you're absolutely right. And I also think it's not reserved for the $20 donor or the $400 donor or the $1,000 donor. Like when I was working in child development programs internationally, like the 20,000, the 100,000, the $500,000 donors, million dollar donors, they want to see that as well. And we can't forget that as part of our, how we connect with our donors. And I think that's, that's something I've kind of gone back to is that again, regardless of whether you give a million dollars or a thousand dollars or $10, you're still a human giving and giving is Mm -hmm. deeply personal. And we want to be able to connect with that. There might be additional bullet points or requirements or desires outside of that. But the one that I don't think dissipates or disappears regardless of the donor, specifically individual donors. I know there's other types of funders that might have different requirements and disregard uh, some of this stuff, but it's still an emotional thing. It's still a connection to impact. It's still an expression of the legacy I'm trying to leave on the world. 
And that matters to the $10 donor and the million dollar donor regardless. A hundred percent. I agree. So uh, Kelsey, I've obviously enjoyed our conversation. I think there's tons to unpack about how nonprofits can really engage with uh, philanthropists better and collaborate Mm -hmm. them, but also with community foundations like yourselves. So Mm -hmm. most of our listeners work at nonprofits or they're fundraisers at nonprofits. And so I want to give you the opportunity as like a a member of a, of a supporting agency or supporting group um, uh, that nonprofits would work with. What advice do you have for those fundraisers and how they should work with organizations like your community foundation? Like what, what, what should they be doing? What could they be doing better? What resources might they might not even realize that are available in their communities that they can tap into? Definitely. So every community is super unique, which is kind of the hard part about um, speaking to that broadly. But what, the things that we do to, we want to stay present, right? So that we also, like when a new nonprofit springs up, we can be there to welcome them and uh, help guide them on what they need to start their nonprofit, give them a checklist, um, help them with some of our programming to, you know, create a strong business. Um, nonprofits are businesses too, even though they're not often treated that way, just because they reinvest their profits back into programming. Um, the, the thing that we have to keep in mind is uh, most new businesses fail uh, within the first few years and uh, nonprofits are probably even more susceptible to that failure due to the fact of uh, how they generate income. So uh, I like to say with that, that uh, you want to make sure that your funding is diversified. Uh, that's my biggest advice for any fundraiser. And I'm sure if they're a good fundraiser, they already knew that. Um, make sure that you are working with your local chamber and a community foundation if it exists. Um, most do not have this sort of nonprofit Arm, although I have seen that start to spring up a little more, that uh, nonprofit resource centers or uh, nonprofit programming or like a center of excellence, some of them call themselves, uh, all of those are starting to become a little more attached to or working with their community foundations. So uh, if any of those organizations exist within your community, be aligned with them, be engaged with them, and actively start working within those communities because the more connections you make, the better fundraiser you'll become. Um, I really believe in the power of networking, both in person and virtually, uh, to grow your base and um, grow your contributions to your programming. Um, that I think that those are my big pieces of advice and how an organization should connect. I think that each community is so different, but uh, really making sure that your funding is set up so that it's not all coming from one or two sources, but that you can be sustainable if one of those sources dries up is just a really critical part of good nonprofit management, but also um, leaning on your community you know, staples for support. Most places have a chamber um, or an economic development board you can be friends with either of those too. And I think that's great advice. And I think simplistically, it's just reach out, connect, see what resources are available and don't assume, you know, (laughs) and just connect with those resources. Do the research. Absolutely. 
You'll find so many things that surprise you. You know, maybe it's only like on a personal note, uh, I was trying to find some resources for my parents just to see what was available or like what they could do when this was, you know, when everybody was really sequestered and, um, and really isolated. And I found that, you know, uh, if you had ordered groceries in to protect yourself from coronavirus because you were elderly or like in a at risk population, you could get this like $250 grant, just give them a call and they'll send you 250 bucks for having to buy groceries online and pay for those extra fees. Like stuff is out there. Uh, the digging kind of stinks. Uh, I love research. So for me, that's like my favorite part, but, uh, doing the research, going through and really searching or finding someone who loves to do research like I do and asking them if they would do that on behalf of your organization once a month, see what's out there and send me a report of what we can tap into. Uh, granting, especially, uh, if you're a nonprofit and you are not taking advantage of granting in some way, shape or form, um, I think you're doing a disservice to the organization because there's grants out there for like literally everything, more or less. And um, while you might not get it the first time, you get better at these things with practice. And I think enlisting someone to assist you with granting services, if you're not familiar or not skilled in that department, is crucial um, and worth every penny. Well, Kelsey, I appreciate uh, appreciated our time and your insights. And I kind of want to end on this. And you kind of mentioned, obviously, the fact that, you know, we've gone through so many, so many different circumstances that have created uncertainty and fear in our communities. And I think overall, there's just a shared, a shared sense of uncertainty that is rampant right now. And so as you are thinking about advising the various stakeholders that you work with, like, how should leaders be waiting through this current moment? And almost more important, guide and support their donors amidst this reality? Um, I'm so glad that you touched on this because I actually just recently uh, did a presentation on some of these topics um, with our uh, nonprofit business council at our last meeting uh, last month. Um, Everyone right now, even if they say they're not, they're scared. There's a lot going on in the world right now that is scary And um, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that sense of fear and uncertainty and and anxiousness and um, allow yourself to feel it. Don't brush it under the rug and acknowledge that other people are probably feeling that too. I think if we can all walk forward with a little more compassion with our organizations, with our donors, with our workers, with everyone, our volunteers, we will see that, um, you know, just being a little bit kinder will get a long way with helping people calm and validating those feelings in others. Um, as you are moving through this uh, in fundraising, the first thing you do when you call to check in with your donor is check in with your donor. Now, if they change the conversation or they go, hey, Kelsey, what do you need right now for your organization? I think that's a perfect time to have the conversation. But uh, your donors are humans, so just call them and ask them how they are as humans and see, you know, maybe you have a mental health resource that could help them, or perhaps your organization has connected with someone that, you know, might be able to assist them in a way that they need, or maybe you're affiliated with some sort of nonprofit organization like ours in your community that um, brings people together and you can help be a referral source for your donors, but they're people. Um, So that's the first thing 
you need to keep in mind as you walk through this, um, let them have those same things be honored in them, the fear, the anxiety. Um, and as you're supporting your donors, um, you know, tell them how you're responding and how you're impacting still while you're going through this, right? That's how you guide them to this knowledge that you need help. Um, but share your mission again, your why your impact and what you're doing. Um, I think that is how you can help donors right now. Don't, you know, put on a brave face and go, we're doing great because, uh, your organization should last after this level of crisis has dissipated into the future. And if you don't tell them that you're in danger, uh, if you are or having any financial issues that could affect your sustainability or some other issues that could affect your sustainability, your donors want your organization to succeed. That's why they gave you money. They might have a limited budget right now. People aren't eating out, so they're not spending quite as much money of their discretionary income. And perhaps you could gather some of that uh, just by letting them know where you are honestly. Um, so wrapping that up in bullet points, your donors and everyone else are people, please honor that and, uh, let them know that you understand where they are, treat them as humans, thank them for what they've done and tell them how you're going to impact people if they'd like to contribute now, if you're asking them for money and, and thank them sincerely. I mean, just I think right now it's the most important time to be an authentic human with all of the rest of the human humans that we walk with. Sorry, I'm off my soapbox. Kelsey, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Noah. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You'll also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Podcast.